So today is the feast day of the glorification of Saint Innocent of Alaska, first bishop of North America. And by rights, I should give you a full accounting of his life and let you know all about him. Unfortunately, as I was looking over his life in preparation for this, I realized I really need to like read a couple of books just to get a good grasp on everything that Saint Innocent did. He was an amazing person. He, he was uh, a, a, a linguist. He was a clockmaker. He, uh, he, he spent long hours kayaking from one island of the Aleutian, in the Aleutians to another, um, and all in service of the people that he was assigned to serve, first as priest and ultimately as bishop. But what I want to share with you today is actually just about the daily gospel reading. Because uh, as, 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 you, as you know, my, my sort of workflow, if you will, when I'm preparing for sermons, is, is mostly just to share with you what I have been learning myself. And last night, as we were listening to the reading from the prologue, the, the reading of the prologue, of course, the prologue of Ocrid, or, 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 I think, uh, and uh, which is, of course, a, a, an older collection of the lives of the saints, uh, we couldn't actually read the life of Saint Innocent because he, uh, when the prologue of Ocrid was written, he hadn't been glorified yet. And so, uh, it, so it was that I realized, listening to what uh, the reader was reading from the prologue, that today is uh, that today is also uh, the uh, the celebration of the Holy Apostle Thomas, which strikes me as rather appropriate that the very first bishop of North America, who uh, was canonized as a saint and actually just the first bishop who actually got here. He wasn't the first bishop because the first one who was consecrated got killed as he was coming over to North America. But he was the first one who actually got here. Um, was his, that his, the, the feast day of his glorification is on the, the day of the apostle who is known for doubt. <laughs> Seems somehow appropriate given uh, the culture of North America. Anyhow, what I what I wanted to uh, what what struck me as I was listening to the um, uh, to what the author of the prologue of Ocrid was saying about Saint Thomas was that the the lesson he was drawing could also be drawn from the gospel reading for today because what the what the what the author notes in his life of St. Thomas is that it is through Thomas's doubt and through Thomas's tardiness that we have two of the greatest confirmations of the resurrection and the mercy of our Lord. It was because of Thomas's doubt that when our Lord revealed himself, not only to the other apostles, but also to Thomas, he said to him, look, put your hand here. Touch my side. See that I am flesh and blood. And then, of course, we have that amazing, beautiful 
affirmation of Thomas, his response is just automatic response. My Lord and my God. And Jesus says to him, blessed are you because you have seen. Blessed are, blessed, even more so, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And then, of course, according to tradition, uh, the apostles after, after um, uh, the, the passing of the Theotokos, the mother of God, were all uh, miraculously gathered from the ends of the earth uh, to, to uh, 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 except for Thomas, who was all the way over in India. So I guess he had a little, little farther to come. Uh, and, and he got there late. And he was very upset that he got there late. Uh, and so, again, according to the, to the tradition, he, he, he wanted to see the body. And he asked that, they, that the tomb be opened so that he could venerate the body of Mary. And when they did so, they found that the body was gone, that she had been the first to be bodily resurrected from the dead by her son, as seems only fitting, given that he, he, she was his mother. And so through the doubt of Thomas, through the tardiness of Thomas, uh, we have uh, um, made more sure for us the, the joy uh, and the promise of the resurrection. We have revealed to us the mercy of God. And this is also what we have in the gospel reading that was prescribed for us today. In the story, we have two crowds. On the one hand, we have uh, the crowd that was always following Jesus everywhere. And on the other hand, we have this crowd coming out of Nain, surrounding a widow who has lost her only son. One, is, one crowd is, of course, full of joy and people uh, asking questions and learning and all, 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 the, all the vivacity of life uh, surrounded, surrounding the life giver. And the other is marked by sorrow and death. And of course, as our Lord comes up to, uh, as, as these, these two crowds converge, our Lord makes his way right up to the bier, says to the mother, don't weep, lays his hand on the bier and says to the young man, tells him to get up. And he gets up and starts talking and Jesus presents him to his mother. And everybody glorifies God. Simple story. What struck me in the context of just sort of listening to what was being said about Thomas is that here again we have a tragedy, a calamity, a failure. Thomas failed to believe. Thomas failed to make it to the funeral of the Theotokos. And here we have the ultimate tragedy. A young man cut down in the prime of his life and a mourning mother. And yet, God worked through this tragedy too. 
because this is not just a pattern with Thomas. This is not just a pattern with the widow of Nain. This is a pattern that, that runs throughout our entire lives as we look back in retrospect. As we look at the hand of God and how he works in and through even the most tragic circumstances, even the rejection of his son by his own people and his crucifixion and death, God works in and through even these things for our good, for our salvation. Because this is the God whom we serve. This is how he works. So then the next question, I think, for us is, what do we do with this? What do we do with this knowledge? And then there's a couple of things I think we should be careful not to do. One is, don't use this as a way of comforting somebody who is the middle, in the middle of suffering. Not a good idea. Not going to work. This is something that is not given for us to use and to, and to impart to other people unless, you know, maybe by the grace of God and maybe through their, through their faith, they're, they're somehow ready for it. Mostly, I think it's something given to us in kind of the same way that Mary received all the things about Jesus as she just watched and saw how God was working and treasured these things in her heart. It's something that is a quiet affirmation for us. It's something for us to reflect on as we consider how things, are, how God is working in our lives and in the lives of those around us. So first, don't use it to comfort others. Treasure it up. And second, as we encounter suffering, because we will all encounter suffering at some point, as we encounter disaster and horror and evil, don't despair. Don't give up. God's not finished with the story yet. The ending has not yet been written. And when we do see God writing endings, he works things out for our good. That's part. That, that's the most key foundational, fundamental understanding that we have to embrace as we struggle to maintain faith in the face of a hostile world, which is filled with doubt. And finally, don't use it. Don't use this to um, 
in a way that glosses over, as a way to gloss over evil or suffering. The evil, the failure, the suffering are still evil. They're still failures. It's still real suffering. That doesn't change. The message that we have is the message of the cross for a reason. Not because the cross is something in and of itself wonderful and glorious. It's not. It's horrific. It's an instrument of torture and death. But what God does with that is glorious, is the ultimate manifestation of his love for us. There's a reason why the apostle says not only rejoice with those who rejoice, but also mourn with those who mourn. We, as followers of Jesus Christ, take sin and sorrow and suffering and death and evil very, very seriously. They are real. They are powerful. They are devastating. But the message of the cross, the joy of the resurrection, reveals to us that there is a greater power at work. One that triumphs over sin, over evil, over death. One that works through suffering, through sorrow. One that brings us in, ultimately into ultimate joy by the joy of the resurrection. As I said, it was interesting to me as I'm reflecting on, on these, on these uh, three examples of how God works, that all three of them are a revelation of the resurrection and of the mercy of God at work even in Failure, even in sorrow, even in suffering. Glory to be to him. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now and ever into ages of ages. Amen.